0: Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Good morning. Good morning to you all out there in the ether. We wish you were here, but we're glad you're able to join us anyway. you've been here for several weeks you know that we've been preaching in this season of advent using passages from Isaiah the prophet Isaiah that are found in the advent liturgy that we read together this time of year and each one of those readings each week has a section from the book of Isaiah except this week This week is the angel candle, as you remember. Um, There is no text from the book of Isaiah in the liturgy about the angels. If there was a text in the liturgy about the angels, it would be Isaiah 6. And so that's the passage we'll be looking at this morning, Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 8. Follow along as I read this in your Bible. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord. We've already seen this morning that angels were instrumental in announcing the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. God sent the angel Gabriel to break the news to Mary that even though she wasn't married and was a virgin, she was going to have a son. And Gabriel said to her, your son, Jesus, will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. And we saw how God sent an angel to the shepherds. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And then he sent, not just one angel, but a whole army of angels, a multitude of a heavenly armies. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Scripture clearly tells us that there is an unseen realm operating on another level of reality that we can't normally see. If any of you have been to Disney World, yeah? Yeah? So, this is like Disney World. Did you know that there's a huge unseen realm at Disney World? Right? There are tunnels and rooms and whole buildings that are behind the scenes. Right? Where maintenance workers and janitors and food people and Pluto and Mickey Mouse are traveling and working and bustling around behind the scenes doing the real work of the park. And if that unseen realm wasn't there, the park wouldn't be there, the park wouldn't work. This is how the Lord has built creation. There is a whole realm, a whole reality, usually unseen, in which multitudes of creatures work and serve and fight and worship they usually serve behind that door that says authorized personnel only. You're not allowed to go back there. But it's real. Just as real as this world, not more real, just as real as this world. Sometimes the Lord cracks open that door and we see something of what and of who is actually back there. Do you remember the account of Elisha? This is in 2 Kings when Elisha and his servant were in a city that had been surrounded by their enemies, the enemies of the Lord. Here's what it says, 2 Kings 6. Now when the attendant of the man of God, so that's Elisha, the attendant of the man of God, Elisha, had risen early and gone out. Behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And a servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, "O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. They didn't just appear, they had always been there. It's just that the servant couldn't see them. So Elisha says, Lord, crack the door, peel back the the curtain, let him see. This is what the kind of thing is going on in Isaiah six. Isaiah is taken up in a vision to the heavenly temple where the Lord sits on his throne. And hovering over the Lord's throne, there are these throne guardians, these magnificent otherworldly creatures. Here, in Isaiah 6, they're called seraphim. Seraphim means burning ones. They burn in their appearance. We often see these these creatures in Scripture described as bright and shining, like lightning, like fire. But more than that, they burn in their zeal to serve and worship the Lord. The fact is, These kinds of creatures are everywhere in Scripture. And they're everywhere in the history of the world. They're everywhere, all the time. They were at creation. They were there at creation. The Lord created them, and then here's what it says. This is Job 38, the Lord himself is speaking. He says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? Or what were its bases, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? These are the angels. God made them, then he made the world. So that, and they were there to watch and to worship as he did it. They were there in the Garden of Eden. The serpent was one of them. In Ezekiel 28, speaking of the serpent, Satan, it says, you were in Eden, the Garden of God. You were the anointed cherub who covers. And then after the fall, after Adam's fall, Genesis 3, so God, the Lord, drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim, and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So since the beginning of the world, these creatures have been around, and not just passive, but engaged. They are all through the history of the Old Testament. They come to Sodom to destroy it. The tabernacle and the temple are filled with images of these creatures. They fill the visions of the prophets. What do they do? They obey the Lord. They do whatever the Lord says. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. They serve his people. Hebrews 1.14 says this, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? That's you. The Lord made these creatures to serve his people, you. When our Lord Jesus, after he was, when he was in the wilderness and had been tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's tempted by the devil, He's been fasting and after that ordeal it says in Matthew four, then the devil left him and behold the angels came and began to minister to him. That's what angels do. They minister to God's people. They stand in the presence of the Lord and worship. Luke 119, the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Revelation 5, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. In fact, they don't just worship the Lord in heaven, they are with us right here, right now, in worship. The book of Hebrews, chapter 12, speaking of, of us, speaking of the church, here's what it says. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. They're here with us now. Watching what we're doing. This is why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. I didn't make that up. They're here with us and it should have an effect on how we conduct ourselves. We've already seen that the Lord uses them to bring messages to Mary, to Joseph, to the shepherds. He uses them to bring rescue and salvation. Acts five, it says, they laid the hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison and taking them out, he said, go, stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. He uses them to rescue his people. He also uses them to bring judgment. In Acts 12, speaking of King Herod, it says, The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and died. Matthew 13, our Lord Jesus says, The Son of Man will send forth his angels. And they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He says, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous. The angels will do this and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Lord uses angels, these creatures, to fight his battles. Revelation 12. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And our Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed and crucified, he's standing in the garden of Gethsemane and this crowd of soldiers comes to him and his disciples are saying, why won't you fight? What does he say? He says, don't you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will not at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Why? Well, that's what they do. They fight. He could have had them like that. It seems that the Lord assigns angels to little children to care for them. This is not just make-believe uh, a hallmark card sweetness. The Lord Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, these little children, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. He tells us that so that we won't despise little children. They have angels, watch out. And apparently they are present at our death, carrying us into the presence of the Lord. Luke 16, the Lord Jesus says this, now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Sometimes, somehow, they show up without us realizing it. In Hebrews 13, he says, let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And they are deeply curious about what the Lord is doing for us and in us for our salvation. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, he says, it was revealed to the prophets of the Old Testament that they were not serving themselves but you and these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. They're deeply curious about what's going on. The Lord saving his people. Not detached at all. They are so majestic and magnificent that whenever men see them, they are compelled to worship them. Colossians 2.18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels. When John, the book of Revelation, talks about himself seeing these visions, communicating with these angels, here's what he says in Revelation 22. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours, and of the brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book, worship God. This is the mark, by the way, of how you can tell the difference between a good angel and a bad angel. Good angels will refuse to be worshiped. The bad ones love it. And they are the gods of the nations. And they love it. Even when they appear as men, they're terrifying. Matthew 28, the resurrection of our Lord. Behold, a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And yet with all of that on judgment day, we, God's people will judge the angels. First Corinthians six, three, do you not know that we will judge angels? It's funny, the apostle Paul says that when he's trying to get the church to do church discipline. (laughs) Don't you know? You can do this, we're gonna judge angels. And here in Isaiah six, they guard the throne of the Lord. They hover over his presence and worship. They proclaim his holiness and his glory in a voice that makes the whole temple tremble and shake. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Angels are all over the place. They're usually behind the scenes. They're doing the will of the Lord, but sometimes on very special and momentous occasions, the Lord peels back the curtain. He cracks open the door and shows us that we are most definitely not alone. And this should amaze and humble us because these glorious, mighty creatures exist. Why? To serve us. Remember, that's what Hebrews says. Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? They're working. You don't usually see them. They're here. Now, as interesting and amazing as all of that is, at least to me, the real story here in Isaiah 6 is not the angels. It's the Lord. Isn't it? Look at what it says. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, Each having six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The magnificence of these angels exist. God made them to point to his magnificence, to his glory. The Lord sits on a throne. He sits on a throne because he is the king. He sits on the throne because he is the judge. That's who sits on thrones, kings and judges, kings as they judge. Psalm nine, the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment. Psalm 11, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Psalm 97, clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Not bribes. Righteousness and justice. Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Proverbs 20 says this, a king who sits on the throne of justice disperses all evil with his eyes. All he has to do is look at you. Evil runs from him. That's why Isaiah does what he does when he sees the Lord sitting on a throne, holy, righteous, lofty, glorious, exalted, pure. He says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. Woe is me because I'm a sinner. But the Lord, He is holy and righteous and mighty in wrath and power. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. I'm ruined. That is the only sane response. That is the only sane response. Tremble in fear, fall on your face, and despair. The only sane response to seeing the Lord. But we are so flippant today. So flippant. We fear no one. We fear no king, no father, no judge, no boss. Certainly no God. Oh, we claim to fear God. But look at our lives. Our lives are empty and shallow. That's why we fill our time with stupidities That's why our greatest aim in life is to entertain ourselves. That's why when we come to worship, we'd rather look at our phone. We fear nothing and no one, especially not the Lord. There is nothing and no one holy. There is nothing and no one to whom we bow with reverence and awe. And when we do bow in reverence, well, when we do bow, (laughs) when the pastor leads us in prayer, even here in worship, we bow reluctantly. What a bother. I mean, the Lord doesn't care what we do with our knees. Really. Really. Our hearts are hard and cold and calloused. And even when we come here to hear the word of the Lord, we don't tremble. We yawn. But we should tremble. But we don't. We think highly of ourselves, we congratulate ourselves, we live for ourselves, we entertain ourselves. But not Isaiah. He saw the Lord, high and exalted and holy, and his only response was, oh no. I'm done. But what happens next? It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand. Here, here is one of these majestic, powerful, mighty creatures serving the man. Right? One of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand which he had taken from the altar with tongs and he touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. The Lord forgives Isaiah's sin. He cleanses his iniquity. And then what? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah saw the Lord. He saw his own iniquity. The Lord cleansed him from his sin. And then what? He served the Lord. He said, Everything is on the table. Do whatever you want me to do. Here I am. What else can I do? That's how it goes, that's how it works. Do you know why we don't serve the Lord? It's because we have not seen Him. We haven't seen Him high and exalted, seated on His throne of power and judgment. And so we have not seen the depths of our sin. We think we're pretty good. And so we don't think about serving the Lord. We think about where our next little burst of fun is going to come from. I mean, that's what life is about. Obviously, right? I mean, isn't that what life is about? But it's life shattering to see the Lord, it's life shattering to see his holiness and his glory. Now, I suppose some of you are thinking, well, sure, Isaiah trembled, right? I mean, he had a vision. It was easy for him. Isaiah got to go to the throne room of God. No wonder he said, here am I, send me. But I don't have any of that. All I have is this book. And I actually have to read it. And there aren't any pictures. All I have is this book and boring preachers and hypocritical Christians who claim to know the Lord. I can't be expected to tremble. I can't be expected to fear. I can't be expected to serve. No. No. You and I have no such excuses. The Bible tells us that he, our Lord Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The Bible tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, glory, as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible says that, says God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. If you are a Christian, you have in fact seen the Lord. You can and must see the Lord, the Lord Jesus, in all of his glory and magnificence. All Isaiah got was a vision. The the New Testament tells us, subpar, what we get is Jesus in the flesh. And, as a matter of fact, who did Jesus actually see in Isaiah 6? Who did he actually see? The one high and exalted, seated on his throne, the train of his robe filling the temple, holy, holy, holy. Who did he see? Listen to this. Scripture tells us that he saw our Lord Jesus. John 12. He's gonna quote in John 12 from Isaiah 6, part we haven't read yet, but it's there. And here's what it says. But though he, our Lord Jesus, had performed so many signs before them, the Jews, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he has hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Whose glory did Isaiah see? Our Lord Jesus. Of whom did he speak? Our Lord Jesus. Who seated on the throne, high and exalted? Our Lord Jesus. He is the Lord. He is the Lord. All of the angels pale in comparison to him. All your fun and your distractions pale in comparison to him. All of your empty self indulgence pales in comparison to serving him. So, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing? What are you doing? I assume that most of us here claim allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that some of you don't. I know that some of you have claimed allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been baptized, which is a pledge of allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been baptized either as an, as an infant or as an adult or a kid. I know some of you um, are waffling on that. Especially some of you young people. Most of us here claim allegiance to our Lord Christ, but when we see him in the pages of scripture, when we actually see him in the pages of scripture, which is what, where he we see him do we say woe is me i am undone i am a great sinner lord cleanse me or do we shrug and yawn and check our watch And when we hear how our Lord Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, to save his people from their sins, and to shed his blood as the Lamb of God, what comes next in our minds? Because we hear that all the time, right? So then what comes next in our minds? Oh, good, oh, that's nice. (laughs) Had me worried there for a second. But now, no worries. I get to carry on with my life, you know? Everything will be fine. Heaven waits. Great. Is that what Isaiah said? Oh, good. Now I get to do whatever I want. Oh, I'm going to heaven when I die. Great. Now what? Is that what Isaiah said? No. No. Is that what anyone ever said who saw the Lord high and exalted on his throne and yet at the, same, at the same time stooping down to forgive your sin? No. What we say is, here am I, send me. Brothers and sisters, our lives are short. Even if we live to a ripe old age, our lives are just a vapor and a mist. What are you doing with your life? So am I saying that every man here should be a pastor or an elder or a deacon or a missionary or an evangelist? No. Some of you should be. Some of you absolutely should be, and you know it. And even if you are a pastor, an elder, an evangelist, a deacon, a missionary, does that mean therefore automatically you are serving the Lord? No. But every man, woman, and child here who knows the Lord, who claims to have seen the Lord, who claims to have true of you what the Apostle Paul says, the Lord who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. Every one of us who claims that that's true of us Must serve the Lord with whatever gifts and calling He has placed on you. Your life is not your own. Once Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and then saw his own sin, and then was cleansed by the Lord, he knew he no longer belonged to himself. That's gone. He belonged to the Lord. No questions, no reservations, no regrets. And if you claim to be a Christian, you are in exactly the same place as Isaiah. Listen to the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians six. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? I mean, Isaiah got taken up to the temple. Now he says, you are the temple. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Everything has to be on the table. Everything You're not your own. You were bought with a price, that means you're a what? Who gets bought with a price? Slaves. You're a slave of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, Therefore all died and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. What are you doing? What are you doing? Living for yourself? Are you your own? No one can tell you what to do. What are you doing? And you're claiming to be a Christian. Yeah, it just means I go to heaven when I die. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. If Advent means anything, it means that. That's what it means. The Lord has come. The Lord has come. What are we going to do now? Let's pray. Father, please give us the fear of the Lord and the humility to see our sin and take away from us our pride, our self indulgence, our silly, self centered sin. And let us serve and honor you. Lord, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.